0: in a series called thanks a lot it's our thanksgiving series gonna go all the way through december 4th and uh, there's so much to be grateful for there's you know you, you start thinking about passages in the bible that are good to preach on for thanksgiving and there's almost not an exception it's like almost the whole bible gives you a reason to be thankful amen and so my message this morning is called it's not all in your mind i think a lot of times people go like hey it's all it's just it's all in your mind Uh, And when it comes to Thanksgiving, it's not all in your mind. Got a question. Is there anything that you used to love, like a lot, you really loved it, until you found out more about it, right? And now it's just a very bad experience every time you try to enjoy it. You just feel different about it now, so you don't really go for it anymore. Anybody like that, right? I used to love shrimp, in fact, Truth of the matter is, I still I love the flavor of shrimp. It's a beautiful little crustacean. I really want to keep liking it, except there was this one time that I'm about to ruin shrimp for some people. Um, I'm so sorry. There was this one time that I got shrimp and the intestinal tract was still lined, and I just can't do shrimp anymore. I just tell you what, um, it's I got I like this flavor of shrimp, but I just I have such a hard time now that I know more about it, now that I I have a greater awareness of what's possible when it comes to shrimp. Here's the point. (laughs) What you know will change what you feel, which will in turn influence what you do about it. What you know is going to change what you feel, which will in turn influence what you do about it. And this is just as true when it comes to a lived response to God. If you believe God is good, thanksgiving, a grateful life, is a natural byproduct But if you believe something else about God, then gratitude will be very hard to find in your heart. My prayer this morning is that each of us here is going to allow God to transform our lives, but what that looks like is He's going to do that when we allow God's word to change false beliefs that maybe we've held before, and when we let the scriptures change our minds about God, the result is going to be new feelings, a different set of uh, emotions and affections when we think about God. Which will then, in turn, that's going to produce a transformed life. Know, feel, do. This is the path of a life of consistent and expressed thankfulness and worship. We are going to become a transformed people when we let God shape what we know. Change how we feel, and then redirect what we do. So, with that being said, I'm going to ask you to join me in Psalm 100, a Thanksgiving psalm, a psalm of thanksgiving. And we're going to, if possible, we're going to stand and read this together. So, Psalm 100, we're going to read all five verses. I know it's a big ask. Quick note, if you're using the NLT, and I love the NLT for a lot of reasons, but one of the, the, the things is in verse 2, the word is translated, worship the Lord with gladness. Worship, right? Probably a more accurate translation would be serve. Worship is a de- definitely an accurate way to translate that, but a more specific way to translate that would be to serve the Lord with gladness. And I'm going to touch on that in a little bit, but I just don't want to stop us while we're reading. So, here we go. Psalm 100, starting in verse One, here we go. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word that you've inspired and that you've delivered to us. And I pray this morning that you would soften the the, the resistance we have in our mind to letting you change it. God, I pray that you would have permission to change our minds and in turn our affections and our actions. So, please come and reign, be in control, and show us this morning the truth of your word that is life changing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to have a seat. As you're sitting, Psalm 100 was a gathering psalm. It's one of those psalms where, as the people of Israel were gathering to go into the temple, they would sing this song together as they entered the temple. And so, This psalm has a tone of not only command, there's a lot of commands and imperatives in this psalm, but there's also a community sense where it's like, let's obey this psalm together. That is the heartbeat of what Psalm 100 is about. And the emphasis of this psalm, right off the bat, is entering the courts of the Lord with joy and with gladness, which then gives cause to singing and service. These are the commands, right? Shout with joy, all the earth serve the Lord with gladness, come before Him singing with joy. These are commands to act and respond from a joyful awareness of something. There's a something that causes this this joy and these acts of joy to be expressed. And what is the awareness that produces a life of thanksgiving and joyful actions? Look at verses 3 and 5. Acknowledge what? That the Lord is God, that Yahweh is God. In fact. In the Old Testament, if you ever notice where the Lord is like all caps, I don't know if you've noticed this before, uh, that's just shorthand for God's uh, spoken name, Yahweh, that he delivered to his people. Um, And so it's like not just any Lord, not just any God, but it's like the specific God of the heavens and the earth, God of the people of Israel, God revealed um, in the Bible. So acknowledge that Yahweh is God. He made us. We are his We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And then verse 5, another thing to acknowledge, the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and His faithfulness continues to each generation. This is foundational. This is calling us to know something about God and as a response to feel something joyful and glad and then to do something, namely to sing and to serve. So here's the implication. When you know God's truth with your mind, specifically the truth revealed in verses 3 and verse 5, but also the truth revealed about God in the whole of Scripture then there should flow out of your head, out of your mind, the the place where you know things, there should flow from that place a joyful abundance of affections towards God. You don't just know about God, you know Him personally and you enjoy Him. And the very natural result is a lifestyle of thankful acts dedicated to God. So, as you're reading Psalm 100, this is the structure and how it lends meaning to what The psalmist is saying here that gratitude is simply a result of good theology. When you think about the fullness God has blessed you with in Christ, giving an offering of praise and thanks to Him just becomes a very regular habit. When you know more about who God actually is, there is a very natural response, a compulsive response of thankfulness. And so oftentimes in my life, when I'm grumpy, when I'm not thankful, when I'm not living with gratitude, but instead I'm living with some sort of um, entitlement, more often than not, that is directly responsive to my heart, which is not actually focused on who God is. There's something about God that I've forgotten, or I believe falsely. And When I truly understand who God is and what he's done for me and and the blessings that he has poured out on me and the abundance of grace in which I am currently standing, gratitude is a natural response. And here's the thing, when you are consistently in the habit of thanksgiving, when you realize how full and abundant God has made your life already, you start to see how wealthy and blessed you really are. You actually stress less. Your anxieties, uh, your anxiety levels go down. Your optimism begins to kick in. And praise and thanksgiving just become very natural. Worship just comes out when I'm caught up in the glory and the goodness of God. My life is, is, is full and it's abundant when I can bring my thoughts back to the truth of God. And where does this start? Good theology. A proper understanding, a, 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 a biblically informed understanding of who God actually is and how He relates to me knowing foundational truths about God's glory and about His goodness, which I'm now a recipient of in Christ, when I dwell on that foundation, I find myself living in the overflowing fullness. In other words, grateful thinking leads to great and full living. Grateful thinking leads to great and full living. When my thoughts are tuned in to the abundance that I'm living in because of Christ, all of a sudden, what winds up happening is my fear starts to dissipate. My anxiety begins to fade away. My upset with other people who are also recipients of what God has done begins to change. My life actually becomes full and abundant when I begin to focus my thoughts on the grateful blessings That I'm a recipient of. Grateful thinking leads to great and full living. And this is the connection that these verses are making here. You can make a joyful noise because you know this about God. You can serve him with gladness. Amen. You can serve him with gladness because you know this. You can come into his presence with singing because you know this, right? You can enter his gates with thanksgiving because you know about his love. You want to praise him because you know his faithfulness. You want to bless his name because you've seen this to be true. In fact, I would venture to even suggest the opposite would be true. If you aren't filled with joy and thanksgiving and praise and blessing, if your life is not categorized by serving and singing to God, when you think about God or when you approach Him in prayer, when you come into His courts, when you go to church, when when these things are not characteristic of you, it stands to reason you probably don't believe or at least you've forgotten these things. Maybe you don't believe that he is God or maybe you don't believe that he made you and that he's therefore in control. Maybe you don't believe that you're his special people. Maybe you don't believe that he's good. Maybe you don't believe that he never fails. Maybe you don't believe that he is enduringly faithful. Your active response, your lived response is merely a reflection of what you truly feel. And this, in turn, is a reflection of what you actually believe. Bad living reflects bad theology. And so why should I expect grateful behaviors, thankful acts of regular service to God that are inconsistent with someone's internal beliefs? You won't, because grateful thinking leads to great and full living. And so if there's no great and full living, it goes back to where the belief system lies. Right? Grateful thinking, intentional, dedicated thoughts to how thankful you are about the glory and the goodness of God is going to lead to great and full living. So, what does this look like? What does it look like when my grateful thinking opens me up to further abundance, great and full living? I think there's a bunch of ways to answer that, but the few that I want to touch on this morning um, are this. Number one is to direct your thoughts. I want to encourage you to direct your thoughts. Direct your thoughts towards God's goodness and God's glory. This is going to be one of the ways in which you begin to live into grateful thinking which produces great and full living, directing your thoughts. Did you know you are the CIO of your own mind? You're the chief information officer, okay? You get to be in charge of what uh, information is allowed to have a place in your mind, whether it's news or entertainment or music Or the talk of others, or the soundtrack of fear that you have on continuous repeat, uh, or the truth of scripture, even, or encouraging words others have spoken over you, or anything else that comes your way. You actually get to decide what takes up permanent residence and what doesn't even get to rent one night. That's on you. So I would encourage you put on some worship music in the car, in the house, before you come to church. It's not the worship team's job to inspire you to worship right? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. It's assuming you've already been doing that on your way here, okay? Worship is not a one-hour experience. This is something you should become worshiped up already to. You're you're the CIO of your own mind. If your whole Sunday morning is dominated by what you think other people are going to think about you, then you're going to come here all stressed out, stressed because you're late, stressed because you're not dressed right, stressed because the kids are making you look bad, stressed because whatever, because you're focused on you. You're the CIO of your own mind. Make sure the information coming into your mind is more about the glory and goodness of God than anything else. Here's another conflicting thing. I don't get this right all the time. If your screen time report says that you spend, let's say, one hour on social media every day, which... In this culture, is enormously self-controlled. You spend one hour on social media every day. Then, at the very least, the amount of Bible and worship music and preaching and conversations focused on Jesus or anything else that entertains your mind that focus you to, focuses you towards the Lord, all of that should at least be one hour and one minute. You tracking? Like, I, I get to determine how much my mind is dwelling on things of God as opposed to things that are focused on me in this world, right? I, I can't expect great and full living if my input is just completely focused on stuff that, has no, that doesn't really make me grateful. It's not beyond me. It's not life-defining. It's just really about me, and it's not about God. You're the CIO. You're ultimately responsible for what your mind dwells on. And so here's a quick tip I learned a number of years ago. If it's not going to matter in five years, and I'm not going to try to dwell on it for more than five minutes, all right, so that goes for worry. That goes for anxious thoughts. Maybe that goes for social media scrolling or some other sort of entertainment, right? Maybe that goes for anger at somebody or whatever. Now, I don't get this right all the time, but it really helps me to clarify what goes on in my mind so I can take ownership of it. I'm the CIO of what goes on up here. I get to take control of those thoughts. Why? Because grateful thinking is going to lead me to great and full living. That's what I want to get to. I I want a life that is consistently producing fruit for God. You get that by what you put into it. So number one, direct your thoughts. Number two, let it go to your heart. Have you, ever, um, have you ever received this disclaimer before a compliment? Hey, no, don't let it go to your head. I hate that. I hate that, actually. Uh, I get that a lot, and I'm very grateful for the amount of times people say that to me because it means there's a lot of compliments coming, and I'm very grateful. I really am. But I hate that disclaimer because I get the point. You don't want to tempt somebody with pride, but the whole point of these foundational and biblical truths. The whole point of encouraging somebody is precisely that it would go to your head. It's precisely that they would transform what you know in your head, in your mind. They inspire you then as a result to feel something new, something that gives you new courage. That's what encouragement does. It gives you new courage, gives you new faith, gives you new enjoyment of everything God has done and everything He eternally is. In fact, I would be so bold as to say... You don't truly believe God is great and He has chosen to be obscenely good to you unless you let it go to your head. You don't actually believe that. And when it does, please, please let it go to your heart. Let it go to your heart to encourage you to stir your affections for the glory and the goodness of God. Let the goodness and the glory of God transform how you think about Him about everything He's in control of and you're not, let it go to your head. And when it does, don't close the door. Let it trickle all the way down to your heart, to the place where you are relating to God, to the place where you are inspired by Him, where you are motivated Gratitude, I'm sorry, is a natural response. Gratitude is a natural response of the heart that sees what could have been for me because of God's glory and my sin, but acknowledges the place of grace that it occupies because of God's goodness and His grace and His kindness and His over-the-top love for me. The response of that is gratitude. It's so spectacular. It's 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 monumental. It's life-shattering, life-altering, and yet we often look right past it. Um, Look back at verse 3 with me really quick. I'd never really seen this before this week, but one of the things that I was reading in the text this morning, or this, I'm sorry, this week, really stood out to me, and it it just, it undid me in a way that I wasn't expecting. It was a little disconcerting at first, disorienting. Look at this again. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. We are the sheep of His pasture. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Now, this is not a strange metaphor in the context of the Psalms. You probably instantly are going to Psalm 23 in your mind. There's a number of Psalms that uses um, shepherding language. That's because the main writer of the Psalms, was a shepherd. There's a, a normal metaphor. And yet, in the context of this particular psalm, this metaphor doesn't seem to be all happy go lucky. It doesn't seem to be Psalm 23 sheep. <laughs> the sheep is not being led in this psalm to streams of flowing water and beautiful, luscious grass and protected in the valley of the shadow of death. No, no, look at the look at the direction that this sheep is being led. We are the people, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates, go into his courts. <laughs> at first glance, there seems to only be bad news for the sheep. Like look where the sheep is going. Notice this. So here I am, I'm a little sheep in the pasture of the good shepherd. And I don't know how they do it in the movies, but they kind of just like bound four feet all at the same time, you know what I mean? And, and I'm loving this, it's a beautiful day, I just finished grazing from the sweetest patch of grass I've ever seen, the sun is shining, my shepherd is happy, he's singing something about, some tune about the, the glory of the Lord and the um, courts of his temple, and this is a really good day. And then my shepherd walks over and he picks me up and he puts me on the shoulders, and it's like, I love this, Right? because I don't have to walk anymore Uh, and I can see really far. I can see where we're going and he's carrying me along a road. We're going somewhere together. This is cool. I'm on an adventure with my shepherd and it actually seems like we're slowly going uphill and as we crest the first hill I'm like, yes, of course we've been going uphill because there's the temple. There are the courts of the Lord that my shepherd has been singing about Oh, I'm so excited to go into the courts of the Lord. I can't wait to see the temple. I've always heard about its beauty and its splendor, but I've never been inside. I've never been a sheep who's gone there. I wonder if there's maybe really good food or beautiful artwork or a place that I can meet other sheep. But as we get closer to the temple, and I can start to hear things and smell things, I have anything but joy and delight because the first thing that I see as soon as we enter his gates is, is anything but thankful. It, it causes me horror and disgust and fear. It's the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. It's an enormous bronze altar dripping in blood. Wait. Wait. Is that sheep's wool dangling on off the corner? And suddenly it hits me. I'm here in the courts of the Lord. I'm here in the temple to be slaughtered. I'm actually here to pay the death penalty because of sin that is separated from God. It's my blood that will atone for the things that have brought people further from God. And as I sit there frozen in terrified shock, I see lamb after lamb killed before me to atone for sin and suddenly I realize we're next in line and my shepherd begins to lower me to the ground it's my turn it's now our turn to sacrifice to bring in atonement for sin I read Psalm 100 this week, and for the first time, there was this odd feeling that I noticed that wasn't thankful, wasn't joyful, wasn't glad. When I was reading the text this week, I felt strangely conflicted. Like, why is the psalm instructing the sheep to enter his gates with thanksgiving and to go into his courts with praise? What about that is exciting for the sheep? This isn't good news. That's horrible news for the sheep. And and almost as soon as that uh, uh, feeling swept through me, then God illuminated his word even more to show me something further. He turned a light on and illuminated something that I could see that I hadn't seen before. Because where I stopped the story earlier was not the end of the story for the sheep. Let's go back to where I left off. So I'm, I'm standing there frozen in terrified shock. I see lamb after lamb come before me. I realize it's my turn. It's our turn to step up and go to the altar to pay an atoning sacrifice for sin and but what happened next completely undid me because instead of binding my feet together and laying me on the altar the shepherd himself steps forward bound is and is put on the altar and i know it's my shepherd i know his voice but for some reason he looks like a lamb I see my shepherd, and he's a perfect lamb, like one I've never seen before. He's perfect. He's spotless, without blemish. And, and in my place, he is slaughtered. Instead of me, he is killed. Instead of my blood, his is running down the corners of that altar. Suddenly, I realize I'm free. But that sacrifice, that atoning sacrifice, the one we'd all been waiting for, had just happened. There, There is no longer any need for this ritual to make people right with God. That one sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice was the only atonement that would be necessary for sin ever again. My shepherd, who is also the Lamb of God, is so good. His love for me will now will never fail. He has been faithful to me, and still somehow I know it's not the end. He will continue to be so. And so I stand here before the Lamb who is slain as one that is set free. And this is why I can voluntarily choose to obey verse 4 as an act of my will, regardless of how I feel. Verse 4 enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with thanksgiving praise give thanks to his name and praise his name which by the way those are four different hebrew words for worship for thanksgiving and none of them include this somber no expressionless version of worship all of them are very expressive shouting and dancing and arms raised not subtle I can voluntarily choose to do that regardless of how I feel, whether life is great or awful, blessed or embattled, clarified or confused, stress-free or struggling, energized or fatigued, strengthened or just withering away, no matter what I feel in this current situation. No matter what is true in my life, I can enter God's gates with thanksgiving. I can go into His courts with praise. I can give Him thanks and praise. Why? Because the Lamb took my place. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, What then shall we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since He did not even spare His own Son but He gave Him up for us all, won't He also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one. For God Himself has given us right standing with Him. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus, the Good Shepherd, died for us and was raised to life and He's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, and pleading for us. So can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us? If we never have trouble or calamity? If we have trouble or calamity? Or or we're persecuted? Or we're hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Because as the Scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And so I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, or even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I live grateful gratitude is just a natural response of the heart that sees what it could have been because of God's glory and yet acknowledges the place of grace it occupies because of God's goodness and it's the overflow of this gratitude that leads me to a life that is so much better than one focused on me grateful thinking leads to great and full living so direct your thoughts Let it go to your heart. And number three, here's my final encouragement. Open the lid. Stop bottling up your emotions. Uh, Stop stealing. Can I just say this? Stop stealing from God. Stop stealing genuine worship from God. There's a very natural and indeed commanded response of expressive praise and thanksgiving here in the psalm. And I get this every once in a while, people saying, you know, there, there's, a, there's a place to be calm and somber before God, you know, um, let all the nations be still before the Lord, uh, Habakkuk 2, or Psalm 42, um, be still and know that I'm God. In those contexts, though, can I be honest, that's not directed to God's people. That's directed to the nations that are rebellious against God. Read the rest of Psalm 42. Be still and know that I'm God comes after. God says, I will be exalted against the nations that rage against me. Habakkuk 2, God is delivering judgment to people who are resisting God's rule. And so he says, no, no, no. You be still before the Lord. But to God's people, the command is to rejoice exceedingly. And so to sit here Sunday after Sunday expressionless or passionless because that's just not my style is both disobedient and also ignorant of how glorious and gracious God has been to you. I know you're capable. I see you watch a sports game. God is unnecessarily good to you. He is wildly glorious over over things that you have no control over. And when you truly get a hold of this transformational truth, or better yet, when this truth gets a hold of you, it will naturally make you feel something. Again, it's not the worship leader's job to get you to worship. According to Psalm 100, God's not responsible. Someone else is not responsible for that. You are. And I I get that each person is going to feel different things. I'm not saying you're supposed to all look the same. You're supposed to do the wave every Sunday. You can. (laughs) But if you always keep a lid on your emotions, if you never express excited actions of thankfulness and joy, you're actually withholding worship from God who is worth far more than you could ever express. And it's cosmic burglary to keep a lid on how you feel about God. Do I feel like singing out loud every Sunday? No. Do I feel like dancing? You guys see me dance every once in a while. Do I feel like that? Most of the time, probably not. I don't, that's like the only time I dance in my life. It's rare. Do I feel like always getting up here to preach? Probably more than you realize, but honestly, it's not all the time. But is that relevant? compared to the glory and the goodness of God, is that relevant how I feel about responding to him? Not really. My very noticeable expression of thanksgiving and service to God is not about me in the first place. Because if it was about me, then, then how I feel about responding to him would be relevant. Who are you worshiping? All right, I'll get off that. I'll get off your toes. Here's the positive side of that. Grateful thinking will naturally lead you to grateful living. It is okay to say amen in church. It is okay to be a little bit more expressive when you're worshiping. It is okay to open up the lid, to let it out, to be excited about God who is so much better than your football team. About God who is so much better than your your kid. To be excited and to share with other people and to be bubbly, uh, emotional... And maybe you're not an emotional person, but whatever looks like normal expression to you, don't put a lid on that here in the house of the Lord. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Go into his courts already praising. Hmm. The late art historian and theologian Johannes Gertner is quoted as saying this. To speak, gratitude is courteous and pleasant. To enact, gratitude is generous and noble. But to live, gratitude is to touch heaven. There is something very transactional, very relational, very intimate. When God has blessed every single square inch of your life, and you give all of that back to him. There is a sense in which I have touched something beyond me when my life just flows out of a response to what I know about God. I want to give two different invitations this morning, two different challenges in response to what God says in His Word. Number one, maybe you're standing there like that lamb before the altar and you've not actually put your faith in the shepherd who has gone onto the altar to pay your price for you the price that your sin deserves because it separates you from God and Jesus paid the price of that consequence already and it's applied to you when you put your faith in him when when you surrender to him when he gets to be the one who leads you around and you're not the shepherd of your life Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from having to pay the consequence on your own and saved into a relationship with him. And I want to give you that opportunity to receive what he's already done for you. I want to give you that opportunity today. Maybe you're here and you, maybe, you know, you're at church, you're watching online You're doing something kind of religious but you're not a child of God you haven't put your faith in Jesus and you can do that if you're watching online just hit the raise hand button I want to believe in Jesus I want to receive Jesus if you're here this morning I'd invite you as well um, number one come and chat with me I'd love to talk with you about this number two I don't want to give you a chance to get out of this moment before you have an opportunity to do business with God So just right now, I want to encourage you, um, this is the moment to receive what Jesus has already done on your behalf. To say something along the lines of, like, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I know that you've already paid my price. That what you did satisfied God's wrath against my sin. And I believe In Jesus, I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. He he took my place bearing the wrath of God. I believe that, God. And I put my faith in him, that only this can make me right with God, that what Jesus has done for me already, I put my faith in that. The Bible says you'll be saved. Don't miss this moment, because who knows what happens on the road on the way home. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've already put your faith in Jesus. You believe that God was powerful enough to take care of your sin debt, which you owed God because of your sin. You believe that He's already done that. You, you are a child of God. You've put your faith in Jesus. You're part of the body of Christ. But maybe your life isn't that great or that full right now, because you've forgotten that God is not only powerful over your sin payment but God is powerful over every aspect of your life over the things that make you worried over the things that make you anxious over the things that make you angry over the things that make you think about you more often God is glorified over those things and there will never not be a moment where he is not worthy of your praise and your thanks Thanksgiving is coming up on Thursday and for some of you you are very excited about that for others of you, the last few years has changed how you feel about that. And there's a whole new wave of emotions. There's a whole new level of living. There's a whole new set of complications in your relationships. And can I just encourage you, Thanksgiving is probably the exact thing that we all need right now, to begin to elevate our view to what is already true, that whatever is true in your life has not slipped through the fingers the glance the approval of God that he is not out of control I want to encourage you to try this try saying thank you to God for as many things as you can think of before you make a complaint about anything in your life just try it I'll give you your money back if it doesn't work but here's the thing number one it's going to cure most of your complaining and anxiety but number two, for the things where you still actually do need God to provide for you in your life. Going into that moment, going into that ask where things still aren't good. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been thankful for this because I had my perspective wrong. I was thankful for this because I wasn't looking at things right. I was thankful for this because I forgot that God was in it. I'm thankful for this, but you get to that one thing where you're like, yeah, it's still actually bad. But having gone through this up until that point, is going to strengthen your faith to lean into what God is wanting to offer you already. Try saying thank you to God for as many things as you can think about before complaining about the next thing in your life. It's going to cure most of your complaining and anxiety, but it's going to strengthen your faith when you truly need God to provide for you in ways he hasn't yet. The Lord, can I just say this over you? You need to let this go to your head and then let it go to your heart. The Lord is God. He's God. He's not an add-on to your life. He is God. And, And we are His. We're His. He made us. We belong to Him. We're His. We're His. You are God's. You are not your own. We are not Individuals directing our own lives. We are God's. As in, we belong to God. We are His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. He's good. God is good. He's good. His unfailing love will continue forever, far beyond the thing you're in the middle of. And His faithfulness reaches beyond even you. It will reach God's faithfulness Can I say this over some of you who are worrying about the next generation? God's faithfulness continues to every generation. He's not abandoning his church in the 80s, in the 90s, into the 2000s. God's faithfulness will continue. Oh, let's be a thankful people. Jesus, I pray this morning that as you are speaking to us through your word, that you would draw us, raise us up to a level to see beyond the clouds, to see what is still true even when the clouds roll in and the clouds roll out. Lord, help us to see the altitude, the altitude of your glory and your goodness. And give us the courage and the faith to live according